3, and beginning in verse 18, 1 Corinthians 3, 18. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become foolish, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise, that they are useless. So then let no one boast in men. For all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all things belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. Continuing in chapter 4, let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. But to me it is a very small thing that I should be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we look to you, O oh God, to minister to us as we need to speak to us and to direct our hearts, Lord, in what is true and right and good, and that we would yield. Thank you, Father, for all the things in your word that you have spoken to. And we ask God that you would, through your word, speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, um, this has been an, an extended section, probably, not probably, it is the longest section in 1 Corinthians, right out of the box, out of the gate here, where Paul is talking about the potential um, for division within this church because they are focusing on personalities and elevating one against the other, making them um, competitive one against the other, and in doing so, they are dividing the body of Christ. And he's still on that theme here. And so beginning in verse 18 of chapter 3, Paul starts with a let statement. Let no man deceive himself. And then in verse 21, his second let statement, so then let no one boast in men. And then his third let statement, chapter 4, verse 1, let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ. So three let statements that this message focuses on, let no man deceive himself, let no one boast in men, and let us, and, and let us be regarded in this manner as servants of Christ. Let no man deceive himself, and that is in regard to the wisdom of this world. Um, you know, there was a book that came out a number of years ago, the title, I never read it, but the title said, Everything I Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten, something of that effect. And, and you know, and I, and I heard different people talking about what the chapter headings were, and, 
you know, treat people kindly, you know, let others go first, things like that. And you go, yeah, basically everything you needed to know, you learned by the time you were in kindergarten for a successful life. But the title, in one way, is presupposing the world's wisdom is all you need to know. Everything you need to know, you can get by the time you're in kindergarten with nothing said about the need for the Lord's wisdom. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a distinction that only God can make and that God does make as we abide in his word we will know the truth, Scripture says, and the truth will set us free. And one of the things that sets us free from is the deception and delusions of the world's wisdom. We were just making a new video for, for His Hill, one for the summer camp, which we've never done. And, and so I was being interviewed, and John Forrest was being interviewed. And, and when we were done with that, <coughs> the, inter, the, the videographer he, um, he surprised me and he said, Charlie, you know, you're one of the older guys in Torchbearers now. And, um, and I'm like, okay, yeah. And, and, he says, and he says, as I'm doing these videos, I'm just kind of asking people, what would you say to the Torchbearer family as somebody who's been in, with Torchbearers for a long time? What would you say to those who are just starting out? And, one of the, and the thing that just came most readily to mind for me was how true God's word is. And when you're starting out in life, you look at God's word and you go, yeah, it's true. But you, but you don't know that experientially yet. And, and so, and what I realized early on, you know, back in my early 20s, you know, it, this, the, it came to me that each of us, our individual lives, is another experiment that God is running to show us how true the conclusion is. You know how you do that in science, you know, in biology, chemistry, they, they had us run these experiments, and you already knew what the outcome was. So why are you doing it? Because if, if the postulate is true, no matter how many times you run the experiment, it's going to come out with the same result, right? And so it occurred to me early on that that's what God's doing. He, he is, a, he's, how many Christians are on the face of the earth? I don't, we don't even know. Just say a billion. Well, God at this time is running an, a billion more experiments that are going to have the same result. All billion experiments are going to have the same result. And it's so that the world would see the truth of what God has said. And so each of us is another opportunity for God to run the same experiment uniquely in our lives with the same experience so that we would each come to the conclusion for ourselves as well as for the world to see God's word is true. And no one who puts his faith in Christ is going to be disappointed. That's what God's word says. And as I grow older, I am very thankful that my faith has not been misplaced. I become more and more convinced of that. And I become more and more convinced that God's way is the way which leads to life. 
Man's way leads to death. Man has a way which he thinks is right, but the end thereof is death. When God's word says the righteous shall live by faith, one of the things that God means by that statement is the only way to have life is through faith in Christ. Life is only in trusting Christ. And if you think that you can live, if you can have life apart from an active daily faith in Jesus Christ, then you have adopted the world's wisdom and you are deceiving yourself. Let no man deceive himself. <coughs> Many years ago, we had a friend that was very concerned about the enrollment um, for our summer camp and felt that it should be significantly higher. Well, who's against higher enrollment, right? And so, and so this friend offered to promote camp for us with the guarantee that if I just simply made a certain amount of money available, that we would have at least a 50% increase in enrollment. This person was very confident in her marketing skills. That was her expertise, marketing, promotion. And so I didn't go into it convinced because I know that God is the one who causes the growth. We just read that earlier in chapter 3. Paul says, I planted, or Paulus, I planted, Apollos watered, but God causes the growth. And so if that's true, then our reliance is not on marketing. It is on God who causes the growth. So I gave the money and gave her her way. And guess what? At the end of the summer, when we did our reckoning on how many campers came, we had the exact number of the previous summer. Now that doesn't just happen. We've never had two summers, except those two, where we had exactly the same number from one summer to the next. Not one less, not one more. Only God could do that. And what was God trying to say? God gives the growth, not man. Now that doesn't mean there's no place for promotion. We just did a promotional video. But just as you go to the doctor, but you trust God. You can promote a ministry, but you're not trusting the promotion. And my goal in even promoting a ministry is always to be ministering Christ. And so if somebody watches our video and they aren't drawn to Jesus, then that video is worthless in my estimation. It's about Christ and seeking to touch lives with everything that we do and say. Is the wisdom of the world. We live in the world. But we're not to be of the world. And it takes God's word and God's spirit to expose the world's wisdom in each of us. Whether it's how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we raise our children. What is God's wisdom? It's the only wisdom that will lead to life. 
let no man deceive himself. <coughs> if any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, you're not. You're already deceived. You, now, you can be wise in this age, but that doesn't make you wise in the sight of God. Let him become foolish, that he may become wise, the implication with God's wisdom. The wisdom of this world is passing away. It's not going to last. I, that's going to be one of the most amazing things, isn't it? When we, when we are on the new earth, in the new kingdom, and Christ is ruling, and we'll be looking around going, you know, we're not doing things the way we used to do them. There's going to be so little of Christ's kingdom that is going to function the way that this world has functioned. Because virtually everything in this world is antithetical to Christ in his kingdom. I have a, a Christian businessman <coughs> who has oftentimes told me that the torchbearer Bible schools ought to be run like businesses. And I'm just going, that's just not the case. Yes, we need to make sure we don't spend more money than we take in. <laughs> but that's biblical. You know, a lot of the, the good business stuff comes out of Scripture, if it's really good. Because it's truth. But I don't fire people at his hill just because they aren't producing. See, that's good business. Get rid of the non-producers. But that's not ministry. That's not the body of Christ. You don't just get rid of people because they aren't performing the way that you want them to perform. Christ's kingdom is totally, totally different than the kingdom of this world. Christ's kingdom does not promote and elevate people and make people indispensable and make people the, the integral part of, what's gonna, <coughs> of what we need to succeed in life. We need Jesus. When was the last time the world put Jesus first? When the world said, our need is for Jesus. The Democratic Party is supposed to be a disarray because they don't have a good leader. And then they say, well, the Republicans are disarray because they don't have a good leader. And we're all looking for good men. Wouldn't it be refreshing for the Democrats or the Republicans to say, we need Jesus. We need Jesus. The answer will never be men. The answer will always be Jesus. The wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. Doesn't matter what university you went to or how many degrees you have. The wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, he's going to make two Old Testament quotes here. He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And then the second quote, and again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise, that they are useless. <coughs> The wisdom of the world will never elevate Jesus. It always elevates self. And even in the elevation of other people, it's for the sake of self. Paul's being elevated. Peter's being elevated. 
Apollos is being elevated because it does something for me, right? I am of Paul. That elevates me if I'm of Paul. And so the, world, the wisdom of the world, in one way or another, will always elevate self. What is the message of the cross? Death to self. You see? Death to self. What has Paul been saying? I do not preach myself, but I preach Christ crucified. The wisdom of the world considers faith in Christ to be foolishness. It considers the word of God to not be absolute, to not be binding, to not be relevant, to not be clear, to not be reasonable, to not even be possible. But the wisdom of the world is foolishness to God. So God says he will capture the worldly wise. They will not escape from God's authority and judgment. Because the ultimate core principle of the wisdom of the world is we don't need God. It's all about self. And God says, you will not escape me. No one's going to escape. They may live like they don't need God. They may live as though there is no God. But no one will escape God. They think that their reasonings are superior. But the Lord knows that the reasonings of the wise are useless. God isn't deceived. Man is. So now Paul's conclusion. So then, <coughs> let no one boast in men. We should boast in the Lord. He who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Not in men. Not in men. Never, never any place for it. For all things belong to you. All things. And then he lists what the all things is. Paul, Cephas, Apollos, the world, life, death, things present, things to come. And he says it again. All things belong to you. So if everything belongs to you, why would you say you belong to Paul? Why would you say you belong to Peter, to Apollos? As soon as you focus in on one man, Paul, Paul, man, I'm, I'm a follower of Paul. Paul's argument is because you own everything. When you focus in on one thing, you impoverish yourself. You diminish yourself. You have so much more than what one man can offer. Why would you become <coughs> a fan, a groupie, a follower of a man when you have everything in Christ? To divide over men, over leaders, and to boast in them is to exclude everything else. It diminishes who you are. And it impoverishes you personally. Everything is yours. And then he says, at the end of verse 22, all things belong to you. And you belong to Christ. And Christ belongs to God. Again, the divine order that Paul constantly goes back to for his authority in what he says in Scripture. You belong to Christ. You are under him. Christ belongs to God. Functionally, Christ is under the Father. 
You impoverish yourself when you focus on men. And whether you're conscious of it or not, you are stepping away from being under the authority of Christ when you boast in men. So then that brings Paul to saying, well, <coughs> let me talk about how you should think of me and those whom God has used in your life. Don't boast in us, but regard us in this manner. In Romans chapter 12, Paul says that each of us should not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment. And now here Paul's saying, think with sound judgment concerning those that God has brought into your life. He said back in chapter 3, verse 5, who, what is then Apollos and what is Paul? Servants. And he uses the Greek word doulos, which is the most common word in the Greek language for servant. We're all just servants, Paul says. But now he's going to use a different word. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ, but a different word. And the word here is not the common word that everybody is a slave or everybody is a servant, but this is a particular kind of servant. This is the guy that is in the ship with the oars, and he's under the deck down there pulling on the oar. The under roar, rower is what this is, the under rower. So this is a guy, you never see him. He's just down there doing the grunt work, pulling on the oar. But he is, an, he is under the guy that is walking down the middle, giving the commands. So he is a servant, an under rower. He says, that's how you need to see us. We're just the guys pulling on the oars. That's a unique word. But then he says, and stewards of the mysteries of God. A steward is also a servant. <coughs> but a steward is not one of those guys under the deck that you never see. A steward is the servant who's been elevated above the other servants. He's the guy that's been put in charge of his master's household. All of his finances, all of his concerns, there would be like Joseph with Potiphar, he is the steward over everything that the master has. So Paul says, we're simply doulos servants, chapter 3, we are under roar servants, chapter 4, and we are steward servants. Put it together, and he goes, we're just like everybody else. But we are taking direct orders from the one who is in charge of the ship. And the one who we are receiving our orders from has placed us over the other servants. This is a position of authority. Now, Paul's not focusing on the authority per se because he doesn't want to be elevated, but it's clear here. He goes, there is a distinction that God makes among servants. And the particular distinction is that we have been made stewards over the mysteries of God. So the emphasis is not on, not on the authority, though a steward has authority, and Paul would say that at different times, that he has authority. He's going to emphasize that in 1 Corinthians. But here he's putting the emphasis on the, on the charge to take care of God's word, to handle God's word faithfully, 
to expound God's word, to teach God's word. That was Paul's, this is the main stewardship that God has given me. Regard us in this manner, stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards. By whom? By the master. Not the other servants. The servants cannot require anything of the steward. Only the master can. He answers to the master. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. If he is nothing else, he needs to be trustworthy. Trusted to do what? What the master tells him to do. Nothing else. So that being the case... Verse 3, but to me is a very small thing that I should be examined, and this is the same word as judged, that I should be judged by you or by any human court. I don't care. Judging me? Have at it. Take me to court? Have at it. I don't care. Why? Because he's a steward. And all that matters is what the master says. That's it. He goes, I don't answer to you. And I don't answer to human courts. I answer to God. Wow. Okay, we're going to come back to that, but I want you to flip over to Romans 14 with me. Romans 14. Another passage here about judging. In beginning in verse 4. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own masters. This was what Paul's saying in chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians. It matters nothing to me for you to judge me because he is under his master. To his own master... He stands or falls. So you can condemn me. And maybe, I, maybe my master is going to condemn me too. You can excuse me. And maybe my master is going to excuse me. But I can't take whether I'm doing a good job or a bad job based upon what you say. I have to listen to the master and what he says. To his own master he stands or falls. And stand he will. For the Lord is able to make him stand. One man regards <coughs> one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Let each man be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day, speaking here of the Sabbath day, observes it for the Lord. For he who eats does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to the Lord, and he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat, and he gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one of us dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Are you again? Do you regard your brother with contempt? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us shall give account of himself, not of others. 
I will not give an account for you, and you will not give an account for me. When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we will give an account of ourselves. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. Now, Paul is talking about issues of Christian liberty in that chapter. Sabbath days, holy days, religious days, <coughs> meat, sacrifice to idols, things that pertain to Christian liberty. Stop judging one another. Each person will stand or fall before his master on his own. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I don't care if you examine me. In what respect? In respect to his stewardship. The handling of God's word. Stewards of the mysteries of God. Paul says, maybe you don't think I'm the best preacher in the world. Maybe I don't have the best delivery. Maybe I'm putting people to sleep. Could be. Could be. Some of the best theologians and teachers of God's word are not good preachers. That's been a fact for a long time. Did you ever hear F.F. Bruce speak? Oh, my word. Bring a pillow with you. He's with the Lord now. So, I mean, you know, but I'm telling you, I had the chance. I mean, I couldn't believe it. F.F. Bruce is coming to the school, and I get to hear him preach. Who can say they've heard F.F. Bruce? I can't tell you what F.F. Bruce talked about. It was pretty hard to stay awake. But read his books. Fantastic stuff. Fantastic stuff. But when F.F. Bruce entered into the presence of Jesus, I am pretty sure the master was not judging him on how well he preached. But he would have been judging him on his faithful, trustworthy stewardship of the mysteries of God. One person said, sometimes the preachers we least want to hear are the ones we most need to listen to. Pastor I had growing up. I can't tell you much about his sermons, but I knew he was a man who was faithful to God's word. And I had every confidence that he was living true to what he was preaching. And I believe that when he enters glory, his reward will be high. Not because he was a popular preacher, but because he was faithful and true to the stewardship that God gave him. So it's a small thing if you examine me or any human court examines me. In fact, the end of verse 3, I don't even examine myself. Whoa! No self-judgment? Verse 4. I am conscious of nothing against myself. Clean conscience. But not self-righteous. Jesus is the one who cleanses our consciences by the blood of Christ. By the blood of Christ, our conscience is made clean. And it's only by the grace of God that we can <coughs> continue to live with a clean conscience. Not by anything we can do. But it is, by the grace of God, possible to live with a clean conscience. 
Thank you, Lord, for that. And Paul says, my, so he, Paul says, when it comes particularly to, my, to the stewardship God has given me for the handling of God's word, my conscience is clear. Now, one of the reasons he could say that, we know from the book of Acts, because he talked there to the Ephesian elders before in his last time to visit them, he says, I never shrank back from declaring to you anything of what God wanted me to say. And he says, therefore, the blood of no men is on my hands. Wow. See, that's the hardest thing. Because as I've said already, we are people pleasers. We love people. We want to please people. It is not all bad to want to please people. But you have to make up your mind when you are handling God's word. Are you going to please God or are you going to please people? This is a hard book, 1 Corinthians. And it's going to take us a while to get through it. Coming up to chapter 5 is not going to be a lot of fun, I'm telling you in advance. Okay? And so let's just skip that one. <laughs> Why not? Let's just move over maybe to chapter 15 about the resurrection. That's a good chapter. How can you be a faithful steward of God's word and overlook the uncomfortable passages. You can't. And Paul says, I didn't shrink back from declaring you, to you anything of the purposes of God. And that's why his conscience was clear. I am conscious of nothing against myself. Yet, that doesn't mean I'm without fault. Yet I am not by this acquitted. See, conscience is not the highest determiner of guilt or innocence. Conscience can be wrong. Conscience can be defiled. Conscience can be seared. And so it is possible to be conscious of nothing against yourself, and you're still wrong. So Paul says, just because my conscience is clear doesn't mean that I'm acquitted. I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. And it's the Lord that Paul answered to. When it comes to handling God's word, what is God saying? Are we being faithful to speak what God would have us to say. He's going to say in verse 6, do not exceed what is written. But here he's talking about speaking everything that God has said. Now again, there's a time and place for everything. And we need to know the Lord's timing as well as the Lord's word. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, the time of the judgment seat of Christ. But wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. There are three things here that Paul's mentioned now in this paragraph. He says, consider us to be servants, consider us to be stewards, and now he's inserted the concept of motivation. So Paul says there are at least three things 
that we have no business judging other people about. And that is how they are serving the Lord, the stewardship that God has put on them, and their motivation. Ultimately, only God is the judge of those three things. Because we serve Christ, we are, He is our master, and only He knows the heart. We will never know the heart. We don't even know our own hearts. Only He knows the heart. So when it comes to another person's service before God, another person's stewardship under God, and another person's motives, stop judging. Stop judging. How many hours should a preacher spend preparing a sermon? I hate that question when people ask me that. How many hours do you spend preparing, Charlie? Here comes the judgment. So I want to say, oh, how many hours are in a week? Six years. That's how long. That's how long. Yeah, because how can you, I mean, how, I mean, I'm 61 years old. How long did it take me to prepare this sermon? 61 years. Really? I mean, you can't just say, well, I just sat down and I just got a sermon. All of life comes at us. And it's, that, and it's true. But how many hours did I spend in the text? Well, it changes. It's not consistent. I know guys you know, that I went to seminary with, and they carve out 20 hours a week, and they, and they religiously stay to 20 hours a week. Well, praise God. That is what... I believe they are being faithful to what God has given them to do. I can't do that in my life. I can't. Some weeks it might be 20, some weeks it might be more, but most of the time it's not that much. But the question is, am I being faithful to the Lord and responsive to the Lord with what He has given me to do? That's the issue. And that's something that nobody else can look in on. That's something that I have to answer to God. And it's the same for you. How much time did you spend in the Word this week? It's not my business. It doesn't matter. It should not matter to me how much time you spent in God's Word this week. What needs to matter to me and only is are you abiding in Christ? Are you living in Him? Drawing from him every minute of every day. We stand or fall before our master. And stand we will. Stop passing judgment on a person's service, on a person's stewardship, and on a person's motives before the time comes. Now, there's going to be a lot more about judgment Chapter 5, oh my. <clears throat> so don't hear this as being Paul is saying, never on any grounds, at any level, in any sphere, judge another person. He's not saying that. You'll note that earlier in this same chapter, chapter 3, he says, you are babes, you are carnal, you are fleshly, you are acting like mere men. Isn't that judgment? <laughs> And I would argue that it is. So this is, has, we have to look at the full counsel of God's word. 
when it comes to judgment. And I think we, we are not handling God's word rightly when we make the absolute statement that there is nothing that we should judge about another person. I don't believe God's word says that. There are specific things that have to be looked at. That comes up in chapter 5. But when it comes to a person's, how he is serving Christ, when it comes to his trustworthiness as a steward of Christ, and when it comes to his motives, those are areas for God, not for you and me. We need to be very careful. I have an employee at his hill. If I should have an employee at his hill who says, I'm being faithful, and as the boss I'm saying, not so much. Can they say to me, Charlie, you have no grounds to judge me because I believe I'm being faithful to Jesus. And I go, but I am your boss. And I'm telling you, there are specific things that I want you to do that you're not doing. I can't tell you whether or not, you know, if this, maybe Jesus is telling you, come in late. Maybe Jesus is telling you, take more time off than what I'm giving you. But if Jesus is telling you that, then this is probably not where Jesus wants you to work. Right? <laughs> because there's not going to be a contradiction. So as the boss, I, 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 somebody just can't say to me, I am being faithful to Jesus, but I am ignoring you. I, I don't know how else to say it except... If you really believe you're being faithful to Jesus, then this, is, this cannot be the place where you're supposed to be because there's this contradiction that's being created. There are clear expectations for you, and you're not meeting them because you said you're being faithful to Jesus. Well, brother, go be faithful to Jesus somewhere else because you can't be faithful to him here and be faithful to me. So you're going to have to go fulfill your calling wherever that's going to be. But it, clearly it's not here. But I can't judge their motive. And I can't ultimately judge whether they're truly being faithful to Christ or not. All I know is they have responsibilities in this realm and they're not being fulfilled. So maybe this isn't the place for them. It's this tension that we live in. It's really a tension. And again, the Lord is the one who sorts through these things. One thing is clear. When it comes to motivation, only God knows the heart. Each man's praise will come to him from God. Why does Paul throw in that last statement? One, I think he's saying that we will each receive praise from God. Thank you, Lord, for that. There are a lot of times we don't feel like when we stand before the Lord we're going to receive any praise. But each one is going to receive praise from God. But he's also saying we don't live for the praise of men. We live for the praise of God. How can you be a faithful steward, a good servant, and live for the praise of men. You have to live for the praise of God to be the steward that God wants you to be. 
And I'll close us in prayer.